0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah.
1: Real love is calling, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting with every sunrise. So listen, friends, if you feel like the heavy hand of God is disciplining you, and nobody enjoys discipline at the time. In fact, the, book, the writer of Hebrews says no discipline seems pleasant at the time, only painful. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and of peace for those who've been trained by it. And what God has in mind for us is the restoration even before he announces the discipline. That's a loving father. He doesn't just whimsically decide, yeah, I'm going to afflict you and I hope it works out for you.
0: We make a lot of mistakes in our daily lives. We are far from perfect. We have a tendency to put ourselves in difficult situations, whether at work or at home. We pay the price when we make a mistake. Is this true in our case? Today, Pastor Gary explains how God disciplines you when you make a mistake. You may believe that disciplining you is forcing you to pay the price. But He is actually molding you into a better person and guiding you down the right path. Your Abba Father wants the best for you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 16, as he begins his message, A Change of Heart.
1: Jeremiah is a prophet that God has called to the southern territory of Israel known as the kingdom of Judah When Jeremiah is first called he is probably 17 years of age, maybe a 20, no more And uh, by the time that we get here to chapter 16, he's roughly in his mid-30s His ministry will span the reigns of five kings over the course of about 47 years in total And uh, here in chapter 16, a verse that we won't read, but it's verse 2, Jeremiah is actually warned by God not to get married and don't have children, because the calamity that is going to come upon the southern kingdom of Judah is going to be so severe that God doesn't want him to have a wife or bring children into this calamity. Now, what is this calamity? Well, the calamity is that God is going to discipline his own people. He's going to discipline the Jewish people, the people of Judah. Uh, By allowing the Babylonians, a pagan foreign nation that occupies the territory of what today on a map would be Iraq, to come and to besiege Jerusalem and to haul away the Jewish people for 70 years of captivity in ancient Babylon or modern Iraq. That's what's going to happen. That is what actually does happen. And why is God doing all this? Well, God actually anticipates that question that the people are going to ask themselves. And so this is what God says to Jeremiah to tell him how to answer that question. So here in chapter 16, look in your Bibles with me, starting at verse 10. The Lord says to him, when you tell these people all this and they ask, why has the Lord decreed such a great disaster against us? What wrong have we done? What sin have we committed against the Lord our God? Then say to them, It is because your fathers forsook me, declares the Lord, and followed other gods and served and worshipped them. They forsook me and did not keep my law. But you have behaved more wickedly than your fathers. See how each of you is following the stubbornness of his evil heart instead of obeying me. So I will throw you out of this land into a land neither you nor your fathers have known, And there you will serve other gods day and night, for I will show you no favor. All right, pause there for a moment. Your attention. In other words, God is saying, you really love worshiping false gods? and you love bowing down to these false idols, these idols that can't help you, fine. Then I'm going to bring a foreign nation that worships those false gods, and they have all those idols, and they're going to come, and they're going to forcibly remove you. They're going to separate parents from their kids. They're going to take you against your will. They're going to haul you back to Babylon, and for 70 years, you'll be captive there, and you'll be able all day long to worship those false gods and bow down to those false idols. You really like all this? Fine. Then I'm going to give you an extra dose, an extra measure of your mischief. That's what God's basically saying to them. It's kind of like how, you remember when you were like 12 or 13, and you you, you were caught smoking cigarettes, and so your mom said, fine, you you want to smoke cigarettes? Great. You're going to smoke the entire pack, and she makes you smoke the entire pack. Remember remember that? (laughs) Anyway, back to our story. So... (laughs) So that's basically what's going on here. God's like, great, I'm going to make you smoke the whole pack. I mean, you you like worshiping these idols? Fine. I'm going to send you to a place where they do this all day long, and you can do it all day long and see how that works out for you. Now, what I love about God, amongst many things I love about Him, in this story here, is that in the midst of this fierce warning, God inserts a promise of hope. So where we just left off reading there, still in chapter 16, look at verse 14. However, he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when men will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to the land I gave their forefathers." Now, interestingly here, God is saying, listen, in the past I've been known as the God who delivered you after 400 years of slavery in Egypt. I was that God who brought you up out of Egypt. But going forward, he says to them at this time, I'm going to be known as the God who delivers you out of the hands of the Babylonians and brings you back after 70 years of captivity and I'll restore you into the land of your forefathers. And the reason I love this is because even before God disciplines them, Even before he brings the Babylonians, he's already announcing his plan of restoration. I mean, this is a marvelous thing about the character of God, how he loves his people so much, and he's saying, listen, this is what I'm going to do to you, but I just want to know in advance that I promise you a future. And all this is going to work out for your good to accomplish a greater purpose. So listen, friends, if you feel like the heavy hand of God is disciplining you, And nobody enjoys discipline at the time. In fact, the the writer of Hebrews says no discipline seems pleasant at the time, only painful. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and of peace for those who've been trained by it. And what God has in mind for us is the restoration even before he announces the discipline. That's a loving father. He doesn't just whimsically decide, yeah, I'm going to afflict you and I hope it works out for you. He already has in mind, I know, I know there's going to be some uncomfortable days, but I have in mind for you a greater purpose and a greater plan, and I'm going to restore you. God is the God of restoration. And God loves to restore people. And God loves to bind up the brokenhearted. And God loves to return unto us that which was lost or stolen. And God will accomplish His purposes in the process. But he is also a God of tremendous restoration. Now, the heart of their problem, the people of Judah, the heart of their problem was the problem of their heart. Here in chapter 16, we read it a moment ago, but I want to highlight verse 12. If you look in your Bibles at verse 12, he says, But you have behaved more wickedly than your fathers. See how each of you is following the stubbornness of his evil heart. Instead of obeying me, the problem is the heart. It's always the problem. Now, in the Hebrew, which is the original language of the Old Testament, the word "heart" is levav, or often abbreviated as simply love, and it means a few different things. In addition to just you know being the the organ which sustains life, uh, it can mean the use of the word throughout the Bible means the inner being, the will. The conscience, moral character, seat of emotion. In other words, where we we feel things. God challenges the people of Judah in regards to their stubborn heart here in chapter 16. This was not the first place that he challenged them about their stubborn heart. A lot of times he even refers to it as their stubborn evil heart. I'll share a few verses with you. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. The Lord said, They have not obeyed me or followed my law. Instead, they have followed the stubbornness of their hearts. They have followed the Baals, which were the false gods of the Canaanites, as their fathers taught them. Also in Jeremiah chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, I warned them again and again, saying, Obey me. But they did not listen or or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. In chapter 13, he says something similar in verse 10, these wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them. And then our verse here in chapter 16 that we've been looking at, verse 12, but you have behaved more wickedly than your fathers. See how each of you is following the stubbornness of his evil heart instead of obeying me. And then what Jeremiah does is he kind of summarizes all of those verses into what has become one of the most familiar verses in all of the book of Jeremiah. It's in chapter 17 and it's verse 9 and this is what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, in a few other translations, I want you to see similarities, but also how some of the other words emphasize other aspects. In the New King James, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. If you're reading from the ESV, it says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. So in other words, whatever Bible version you are reading from, the human heart apart from God is deceptive, it is wicked, it is sick, it is beyond cure. Meaning, we can't fix our heart, but God can. God can fix every broken, sick, and wicked heart. This is why, if you're there in your Bibles, look at chapter 17, verse 14. This is why Jeremiah says this in chapter 17, verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. In other words, he realizes the problem of the human heart is something that we can't fix. There's no remedy ourselves to fix what is broken within our hearts. But God can, this is why Jeremiah says there in verse 14 of chapter 17, Heal me and I'll be healed, save me and I'll be saved, for you are the one I praise. Okay, what he's saying is that God can heal the broken and the sick heart. And that God can save us from our sins. And that God can transform a person from the inside. You see, wicked, evil behavior is simply the result of a wicked, evil heart. Wicked evil behavior emanates from a wicked evil heart. Where do you think that things like murder and theft, rape, sex trafficking and lying and slander and such come from? Well, it comes from the heart. This is why Jesus would say in Matthew 15, 19, he says, for out of the heart... Come, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And that wasn't an all-encompassing list. He's just talking about, hey, listen, where do you think evil behavior comes from? It comes from an evil heart. So if we can just change the heart, then we can affect behavior. But the problem is that apart from Christianity, a lot of other attempts are made at simply modifying behavior, and it never really works because it never addresses the core issue, which is the heart. Jesus even said that the content and quality of our words emanate from the heart. In Matthew chapter 12, 34 and 35, Jesus said, "...for out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks." And he adds in the next verse, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So in other words, what we see happening in terms of behavior is just basically the manifestation of what's going on in the human heart. And we can fake things for a while, but the true core of a person is the human heart. And that is what will dictate what ends up being the behavior of that individual. And again, besides Christianity, however, other world religions, and social science for that matter, will try to do a lot of things to try to curb human behavior with external motivation. But Christianity is the only world religion and the only um, system at all that makes the claim of internal transformation. See, the rest of the world, world religions and social science, is looking at external motivation. How can we adjust or control behavior? Christianity asserts internal transformation is is how we change behavior. And internal transformation is something that can only happen, and miraculously happens, through a personal relationship with the Lord. See, when you look at other world religions... Many other world religions recognize a problem with human behavior, they recognize the problem of the human heart, but they offer no real solutions other than trying to say, if you just simply devote yourself to a structured system of good works, that will curtail your bad behavior, or if you punish your body enough, then that will curtail bad behavior, but that only addresses conduct and not the core. It's like trying to treat only the symptoms, but not the disease. Social science is in the same predicament. It's very similar to the way that social scientists try to deal with the complex issues of human behavior through the techniques of behavior modification, which is based basically on a system of rewards and punishment. And it only has limited success. You can train behavior in a person either through the motivation of great rewards or through the motivation of severe punishments, but again, it only addresses conduct and not the core of a person. You know, take, for example, when you look at, at how uh, animal trainers will train ferocious animals or wild beasts, so, you know, take lions, for example, or, or elephants, and they train them to do tricks and, you know, in the circus and all this kind of stuff, uh, a, a trainer will typically use the same kind of behavior modification techniques. It'll be a reward and punishment system. So it's, it's a reward and it's a whip. A reward and a whip. And it can train their behavior only to a certain degree. But the animal must always go back in the cage. Because you can never change the nature of the animal. You, you can only temporarily modify their behavior through a system of training. Training. This is the tragic reason why, and we heard it even just this week, this is the tragic reason why sometimes even the best-behaved animals who have been trained will attack their trainer, or or an elephant will stampede its trainer, and it happened just this week. A 22-year-old young lady as an intern down at this conservation in North Carolina Uh, uh, serving as an intern, was cleaning out one of the uh, lion enclosures, and the the lion got in there, mauled her to death. So this kind of thing happens. Why? Because you you can modify the behavior to some degree, but you can never change the nature of the beast. That's why the beast always has to go back in the cage. But with humanity, Christianity comes along and makes this bold assertion. That through the power of God in a relationship with Him, He can transform the inside of a person. And He can make you a new creature from within. That He can radically alter a person's heart and transform the very nature of the individual through a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible teaches. This is the hope of the church. Amen. Give God praise. If you're going to clap, give Him praise. Give Him real praise. This is why Paul will write in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Therefore, when you get this internal transformation, it then affects The external. See, when you come into relationship with Christ and He transforms your heart, it affects how you behave. You, your behavior changes. Your speech changes. Your 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 uh, values change. Your perspective changes. Your priorities change. Because of this internal thing that's going on in your heart, and so it affects all aspects of your life. Uh, let me illustrate it uh, with this true story. Some of you might be familiar with some church history and different revivals that have happened around the world over over the last few centuries. Uh, one of which happened in the early nineteen hundreds nineteen oh four to nineteen oh five in South Wales. It was called the Great Welsh Revival, and. In a period of one year, 1904 to 1905, an estimated 150,000 plus people in South Wales got saved. It was just a move of God's spirit. It just, uh, God's spirit just poured out and churches were packed. And all areas of social indicators improved. When, when all these people were radically getting saved, economic productivity increased, crime decreased. Jails were empty. Saloons were empty. It was an amazing result in the transforming work of Jesus Christ in the lives of these Welsh people. But one of the factors that actually declined, interestingly, was coal production. Now, South Wales in the early 1900s was a coal mining industry. That's what they survived on. And many tens of thousands of the coal miners got saved during the Great Welsh Revival. In fact, history records how many of them would leave the coal mines after a hard day's work and they'd have church services all through the night and they would just show up with all the black dust all over them and go right into church. Okay? Why was coal productivity declining when all the other social indicators were remarkably getting better? Here's what they discovered. The little ponies that carried the coal carts out of the mines, okay? that hauled the coal carts out of the mine, no longer responded to the commands of the Welsh coal miners. Because when these guys got saved, they stopped cussing at the ponies and kicking them. <laughs> True story. So before they got saved, they're like, you do blankety little bleeping bleeping ponies, gar, get up there! And they'd haul the coal out of the coal mines. And then after these Welsh guys got saved, they're like, oh, you little pretty creature of God. Why don't you go haul haul the little coal out for me, would you please? Just go, you gentle, sweet Jesus, I love you so much. Go ahead, just take the coal out of this. I don't know why I've turned into a Scottish accent, but I don't... I got saved and a lot of things changed in my life. And do you ever, do you ever watch my little pony television show? It's a little, it's kind of creepy. You probably shouldn't watch it. Go ahead and take the call out for me, would you? They weren't, they weren't responding because these guys were getting saved. It's a remarkable thing what happens when, when a heart changes from the inside. Now, having said that, don't make any mistake, however, you get a new heart. But you're still in an old body of flesh. And that new heart wants to do different things than your old body of flesh wants to do. And therein lies the conflict. This is why Paul talks in the New Testament about how I, there's a war going on within my members. See, because before a person comes to faith in Christ, and I'm just going to use this terminology for descriptive purposes, they just live in old ways, so they have old heart, old ways. And those things aren't in conflict. You're just doing what you want to do because you have no real conviction. There's no real, you know, conviction about certain things. And so you do whatever you jolly well want to do. It's old man, old heart, you know, uh, old ways, old heart doing, doing what you want to do. Then a person gets saved. And now it's now it's a new heart, old ways. And those things conflict every once in a while. And you begin to realize I'm convicted about certain things I didn't used to be convicted about and now I feel this tension in my own life and I, and there's things that my flesh wants to do and I know aren't really pleasing to God and so now you're in this conflict. Eventually, one day, we, we get, we maintain new heart and get new body. And so new heart and new body means no more temptation, no more struggles, no more stress, a life of eternity with the Lord in heaven. But that's heaven. In the meantime, as a Christian, you've been transformed from the inside, but you're still living in the old body. It's, it's like, it's like taking a beat up car with a rusted frame and, you know, tires that are dry rotten and shocks that are completely wasted, but you drop a whole new engine in that car. Now you got a whole new power, all right? Whole new power at your disposal. But but that engine is still going to be somewhat limited based on the old frame that it is within.
0: Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Jeremiah. Known as the Weeping Prophet, he was only 20 years old when he began his prophetic life. Though not specifically mentioned, it is believed he would have followed the life of a pastor, and because of his young age, he was not always well-received. No doubt this influenced his writings, and because of their heavy and often negative tone, he earned his title as the Weeping Prophet. However, this did not stop him and he went on to prophesy the many truths that the people of Jerusalem needed to hear. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10 and 11.45 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in worship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to The Weeping Prophet Jeremiah today on Cornerstone Connection.